You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Go in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And in this section called Romans chapter 12, uh, I'm I'm actually going to start with the application on the front side by addressing anxiety. And we're going to look at how Jesus overcomes anxiety. And so Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and it's really the only verse we're going to look at in terms of this great chapter, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Jesus, come now and speak to your church and change our lives and let us be full of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Can everybody say amen? amen. <clears throat> so allow me to very clearly say this about this verse and about the application of this verse, which I'm calling anxiety. It's a huge pushback today against countless preachers and teachers and even church systems which I wholeheartedly, biblically, completely disagree with, that want to tell you to be a Christian is to never experience anxiety. That is as wrong as wrong can be. (laughs) You live on planet Earth, and you do, you're going to experience anxiety. During our worship set, there are a bunch of boys over here running around and running around, right, and driving their parents crazy and all of that. And I remember those days we had four sons, but they're just the most cherub and wonderful of things. They're just running and running, and they're getting hot and sweaty, and they're boys, and they're jumping on the fence, jumping over the fence and throwing themselves over the fence, right? They're just little boys, and they're jumping on the barrels and jumping off the barrels, and they're doing all the things that energetic boys do. And so you would look at little boys like that and little girls like that, and you have no worries in the world, right? And you would say, do you have any anxiety? You know, the truth is little children have anxiety, One time I was on a baseball team as a little boy, and one of my coaches was talking with his other coaches, and he was, he was talking about how stressed out he was. He was talking about how stressed out he was, and I'm really just a little buddy at this time. And, and so I looked up to my coach, and I remember it just like it was yesterday. I said, I said, well, coach, I don't have any stress. I don't have any stress. And he looked at me, and he said, that's because you don't pay the bills. <laughs> right? And I went home, and I asked my mom, who's Mr. Bill? she told me to go to my room (laughs) and so so children even innocent little children playing throughout their days and their lives they have anxiety we're going to normally have anxiety so you have to understand that the promise of the gospel is very different you will not be enslaved to the anxiety. We're going to talk in a moment about how to overcome it and how Christ, how Christ overcome it. But to actually have somehow some doctrinal position that there is something wrong with you, that you're actually walking with Jesus Christ and that you're actually experiencing anxiety and therefore you're in sin or you lack faith, there's something wrong with that position. The truth is you can be obedient, holy, zealous, and in an absolute on-fire pursuit of Jesus Christ and experience anxiety. And so a huge pushback today against a cornerstone of church circles that say differently like that. 
And church, I want you to hear me on that. The teachings, which I'm not naming the church systems, I'm not naming the pastors and preachers, and it's not a takedown like that. I will tell you that they're bordering on heresy to say anything different. You're a human being that God loves, and he'll deliver your soul, and he'll give you strength and victory and power, but you will go through planet Earth (laughs) as a human being. And God designed it that way. Most people, what they do when they experience anxiety, it's like a washing machine. And so there's different kinds of washing machines, but, you know, there's some that, like, bubble up like this, you know. And some of my bros tell me that they, they like that vibrating kind, like that or whatever. Well, I, you know, I have the one that goes around and around and around, so it's stereotypical like that, right? And so you put your wash in the washing machine, and that washing machine goes round and around and around and around, right? And then the clothes just come back to where they were, and they come back to where they were, and they come back to where they were. And then there's some of you that tell me that you like the spin cycle, and you like to actually watch your clothes in the spin cycle. Okay, maybe I do sometimes as well. That's how most people live their lives. It's a circle that doesn't change, and they find themselves in the exact same spot. And they experience anxiety and they come to church and they want to follow Christ and they spin around and spin around and spin around and they find themselves in the exact same spot. They spin around, they spin around, they spin around, they find themselves in the exact same spot. So for that, I can tell you that Christ wants to break that cycle and he has something greater and better for you. And Jesus Christ himself went to a place called Gethsemane. You know what Gethsemane means? Squeezing. That's what Gethsemane means. And Gethsemane was was on the eastern part of the temple. Huge spiritual significance to that. You read your Bible, you read your Bible, and you read in Genesis that Adam and Eve, when they left the Garden of Eden, did they go west or east? Everybody should say east. And there was an angel there protecting them. And that becomes a prophetic utterance towards what is going to happen in prophetic history where Jesus will someday walk back through the east gate on the Temple Mount and take over. But until that day, until that day, there's always been this temple orientation on the, on the Temple Mount looking eastward. And so Jesus is eastward. And the cross is going to be westward. And he's going to have to go from east to west. And that will be the beginning of this new gate of salvation for us. But right now, he's in Gethsemane. And he's on the east side. And there's no development there like there is now. You know, your pastor loves to take tours to Israel. I want to take you guys there again. And I'm going to tell you that we're going to go to the east side of the Temple Mount. And I love to look down on the Mount of Olives. And I love to sit on these steps. And sometimes I weep and I cry and I just take it all in. It's just so beautiful and overwhelming, the thought that Christ was there. And it's so real to me as it'll be to you. And so Christ is there. There's no, now there's buses and there's development. There's none of that there. There's a sacred garden that's beautiful that you go to. But in that place of Gethsemane, as God in human flesh, he's getting squeezed and he's getting squeezed. And what does the Bible tell us? That his capillaries burst out and he bleeds out in blood because he's experiencing anxiety. So there's a person out there that has a hard time admitting that. Our Savior didn't have a hard time admitting that. The difference is that he was capable of trust and we often stumble. Jesus overcame anxiety. Two, two basic points that I'm going to sort of you know, cover everything is that he saw the heart of God, first and foremost, and he saw Pentecost. 
He saw the heart of God. And then secondly, he saw Pentecost, which is, which is he's going to say in his teachings at the very end of his life something that still overwhelms us. It's better that I go away. So if you don't know much about the Bible story, let me just kind of just summarize something. Jesus is going to the cross. Yes, church? Okay, he's going to the cross. And he's talking to his disciples. And he says, okay, I know you're having a hard time with these teachings about me going away. It's better that I go away. It's better that I go away because I'm going to send you the helper. So the original language here is a paraclete. And Christians use this a lot in our conversations. It's the paraclete, the helper, the one who comes as God. The Holy Spirit's God. And he is often how we experience God. He inter, inter, intercedes and intervenes with our emotions and, and, and gives us great strength. And so he said, I actually have to go to that cross, resurrected on the third day. I'll be around for a while. And then on the day of Pentecost, I'm going to leave before that, and the Holy Spirit's going to come on Pentecost, and he's going to light you on fire. And that fire would come, truly would come, and everything would be radically different. And Christians, what we have inside us, what's, the only thing that's really different between us and the rest of the human race is that our sins have been forgiven at the cross, and the fire of the Holy Spirit burns inside us. And we have good days and bad days like everybody else. We have great victories and sometimes suffer losses. And we have demons that sometimes kick our fannies more than one day than we ever want to admit. And we have great days and we have tremendous victories over the demonic world. If that's a demon fly, it must go away. <laughs> I rebuke that. Let me quote you something from a wonderful old book here. Uh, I used to love to go to used bookstores. I'm not used bookstore friends out there, so there's not many around like they used to be, but I love old used bookstores. And uh, so this is a really old book, so i got to do that. So this one says, this quote uh, from a wonderful uh, theologian uh, from back in the day, simply says, everything in Christ's earthly life was significant. So here he's talking about anxiety. The chapter, chapter is called uh, Satan's Cup Refused. So everything in Christ's earthly life was significant, whether eating or drinking, he did all to the glory of God. In the fullest sense, his food was to do the will of his father. The cup that the father gave him, he would drink. Now listen to this, church. You catch that line? The cup that the father gave him, he would drink. The cup of demons, he would refuse. Refuse the cup of demons. That was his law in life, in death, and in life. And that is the difference between us and Christ. Christ was given these temptations and given these these cups of, of demonic messages to, to take inside his head. And he said, get away from me, Satan. I am going to listen to the Father's word. I'm going to listen to the Father's message. And I'm going to operate on planet Earth according to the Father's will and in his power. And he calls us by invitation to actually do the same. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God by the actually mercies of God. So this word mercies is very interesting. It's actually an emotional word. It's not used a lot in the scriptures. And it's speaking deeply to the emotional nature. So what you have to understand is beforehand in the book of Romans, that what the Bible is talking about is something called justification by faith, 
which means we don't have any self-righteousness of our own. We need Christ's righteousness in us. And I pray that that is working its way in your heart and your soul as a church because we've been hammering on that as long as we've been in the book of Romans because it's a consistent message of the book of Romans. You don't have any righteousness of your own. It's called imputed. It's given to you. And that's what you present even for power. That's what you present for answered prayer. When you pray, you're not saying, oh, look at me, God. I'm so great. I'm so holy. No, I'm going to take the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to present it to you, God, as Father. I'm going to ask you to answer this prayer on the authority and blood and righteousness of Jesus, whom you have chosen to never refuse. So do not refuse me now. That's the beginning of answered prayer, not our righteousness, Christ's righteousness. And so, so that is actually kind of a legal transaction, you know? I don't have something. God has something. God gave it. I received it. Amen. Hallelujah. This word mercies is so different. This is related to the deepest of emotions. This is related to, 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 the, to the sweat and tears. Related almost to a form of desperation that I, I so want you to know the love of God. I so desperate for you to know the love of God. I so want to put my power inside of you that I'll die for you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the emotional mercy of God, He's this great God. He's not sterile. It's not simply in a math equation. His Father heart for you and I is so loved. I appeal to you, therefore, my wonderful friends, by the mercies of God. Such a great word. Okay, so by way of, a way of understanding this, I want you to think through John chapter 19, verse 20. For John chapter 19, verse 20, there's a very interesting word that some of you have heard, and we're going to go there right now. It's called tetelestai. And so to, and Jesus is on the cross. He's going to utter this word called tetelestai, which is not how it's translated in your Bibles. Translated in your Bible, it's the, it's the phrase, it is finished. All right, so now go with me with this word called tetelestai that theologians love to comment on, and is this word, it is finished. Jesus is on the cross, and he utters this cry, it is finished. First, it's related to a business deal. It's kind of like two, two people who are doing business and they're going to shake on it or they're going to write a contract and they're going to say something. They're going to have an employment contract. They're going to buy a common company together. They're going to buy some common goods together. They're going to have an agreement. They're going to shake on it. They're going to sign on it. It's a business deal. That's Tetelestai. Second meaning of Tetelestai is the idea of actually having some debt. And so you have some debt and it needs to be paid and therefore that debt gets paid. You can't necessarily pay it or you struggle to pay it, and, and therefore you get a document. I had this happen years ago when we, we actually first came to the Valley and ended up, ended up remodeling our house and uh, doing it myself with a bunch of friends, and I got, the house got refinanced, which is just a normal procedure. Well, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to tell you that I made a mathematical error. And I was really frustrated with myself. And so when I refinanced and told the bank, okay, well, here's how much you know, we did on the refinance, and here's all the things we pay off, and then we, we get it all together. Well, I made a mistake mathematically, and I was short, and I left on a credit card, uh, you know, four or $5,000. And... Uh, and I was just kicking myself like, oh, I made this mistake. I made this mathematical error. Okay, so 
I call the credit card company. I go, okay, I made a mistake. Here's a deal. And we work out a deal. They were great. Zero interest. Uh, I, I, I make some payments over three years and we're done. Okay, so now we're done. So great. I pay off that little bit of debt that's done. Everything's clear. Praise the Lord. And they give me a piece of paper. Chase Manhattan Bank gives you a piece of paper. It says, literally says the first sentence, paid in full. Real block right there, right? Here's what you owed. Here was our agreement. Paid in full. Now, here's what's fascinating about that story. I'm really happy about that. I do the right thing. I file it, right? I file it. And then about a year and a half later, I get a phone call and another piece of literature in the mail, what we, what Pastor Jeff Clay calls a nasty gram. And I get one of those and it says, hey, you owe us that money. You never paid it. And by the way, there's interest penalties and it's just an obscene amount of money. I'm like, what are you talking about? I paid that. I can show you bank statements. I can show you agreements. I actually have emails. And so we go through this process. Do you think they went away? No. <laughs> Bunch of stinkers they are. Right, so this would go on for about another year, and then I, I finally get to some senior vice president, some lady at Chase Manhattan Bank somewhere around the world who actually finally gets all the documents, and she sends me another one with her name and all that attached in bigger letters that says, debt paid in full. And then when you read the rest of the paragraph, it says, never bother this family again. You have by the blood of Christ Jesus to telestai. Debt paid in full. Do you have guilt? Have you done something wrong that you need to repent of? Is there still guilt there? Paid in full. Are you ashamed? You have shame on your life? You have the shame thinking maybe, maybe this hasn't really been taken away. Debt paid in full. Do you have messages in your head? Sometimes from other people or maybe even yourself and sometimes from demon, condemnation and loath and all of that. Debt paid in full. You have this document from the very blood of the Savior from the cross who says, debt paid in full, leave my children alone. The mercies of God. Third and last, you know, way of understanding this, and I, I, won't, I won't belabor this, it'll go very quickly, but the word tetelestai, where I'm referencing John chapter 19, verse 20, is uh, first related to the business deal, second is debt paid in full, but it's also very interesting, it's related to the battle is finished. In other words, it's a war cry. It's a war cry across the valley where one part of the people battling don't know, hey, did you guys win over there? And so they'd be start yelling or shouting, to Telestai, to Telestai. Or they would present themselves in a town square and shout to Telestai. In other words, the battle is finished because the battle has been won. This is Jesus on the cross for you and I. The agreement between God himself that your debt and sin and shame could be paid for is taken care of. Your debt has been paid for. And the battle by which we would have in our humanity within ourselves related to relationship with God has been completely paid for. This is the mercies of God. And so in light of that, the text says, present your, so your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul has been actually talking about God's sovereignty. And he's been talking about him being sovereign over the human race and over Israel and over nations. So an easy way to think about this, and it relates to anxiety, is that God has two things that I want you to take note of. The first thing he has is might. He is the mighty God who is mighty to save. And the second thing he has is right. 
So someone can have might, that's a bully, if they don't have the right. And somebody can have the right and not have the might, and that's often called the sissy. <laughs> God is none of those things. He is perfect. He is holy. He is your father. And he has both the might and the right to take care of business for you. And you have all the privilege, the invitation to have a conversation with him as long as you need, as often as you need about everything that troubles your soul and everything that comes against your life. He is open for business. How long do you want to talk? How long do you want to sit? And he is there. He has the might and the right. That is best understood as the word Yahweh. This I am who I am phraseology which came to us by way of revelation to Moses. And so he says, by the mercies of God, present yourself actually as this living sacrifice. And what's fascinating about present your bodies as a living sacrifice, what's so interesting about that, I want to reference the Mosaic Code for a moment. Because if you don't know much about the Mosaic Code, let me give you just a general way of understanding all of these laws which Christ has been fulfilled. So for example, we don't have to live in the new covenant according to the dietary laws of Judaism. And I, I, I proved that on uh, Easter weekend by actually buying a three pound huge slab of pork and sticking it on my cast iron grill and I loved it. <laughs> and some of you are my cast iron friend cookers in the church. And you guys, you know, you, you text me and you call me like, hey, what do you got on the pan right now, Pastor? What do you have on the pan, right? And I was afraid that a bunch of guys would come over because they were, they were not liking how I was telling them the sauce was coming out. And they're like, well, I have to come over and do better on that sauce, right? So, so we, we don't have those dietary laws. But what God is saying in those dietary laws, nonetheless, I am so sovereign over your life. I govern the truth of what's best for you to put in your mouth. And what's interesting, he's going to talk about human sexuality in the Mosaic Law, and he's going to say, I govern through holiness what is best for your human sexuality because I created it. And then he's going to go, he's going to talk about money, he's going to talk about business, he's going to talk about generosity, he's going to talk about faith, he's going to talk about government and civic government, he's going to talk about human relations and forgiveness. In other words, he's going to say, I have the might and the right to govern the totality of your life down to the minutia and detail and to do it in love and grace. That's why he says, I am who I am. I am the creator God of the universe. I invite you into a sacred and wonderful love relationship with me because I do love you. Present your bodies by the mercies of God as a living sacrifice. So living sacrifice is so, so very interesting. So in Psalm 18, by way of reference, so Psalm 18, I'm just going to give you the first line there of Psalm 18. It's actually a really long psalm, and I'm going to uh, just reference it this way, Psalm of David, which David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. That's the first verse. That's all I'm going to read right now. I love you, O Lord, my strength. And then David will go on and he will have uh, seven things in Psalm 18 that he's going to say about God. Now, I want you to follow me because this relates to anxiety. In light of the Lord, I love you, Lord. I love you, Yahweh. I love you so much. You have saved me. You have saved me. And so, so, so I love you because you are the rock. And then secondly, he says, you are the fortress. 
You know, as a military man, he would, he would really appreciate that. You're my rock and you're my fortress. You're my rock. You're that stepping stone that when I step on your stepping stones, I am always securing in the right place. You are my fortress, he says, secondly. Next, he says, you're my deliverer. So if I mess all of this up, I don't step on the rock. I don't enter the fortress. I mess all of this up. I find myself by my own actions in a really bad place, and I cry out to you, you're my deliverer. Next, he says in Psalm 18, you're my refuge. Next, he says, you're my shield. Anybody here have firing darts coming at them from the evil one? Anybody here? Okay, then he is your shield. Everybody have negative circumstances coming against him? Very logical things where if you were to tell me, yeah, I can understand why you're stressed out, he is your shield against all of that negativity. Next, in Psalm 18, he will say that God is the, Yahweh is the horn of salvation. You know what the horn of salvation is? a really interesting phraseology. It means a couple different things. It means, it means that, it means that when, when it's blown on, it means the general who's going to win the war, who has the massive amount of troops or the better military technology, it means I'm here. Everybody should just run for cover. Leave my people alone. Blowing the horn having everybody look at the victorious general. Or it means that the battle's also over and he blows the horn and says, see, I've taken care of business. And so these are, these are David's ways of describing this living sacrifice because you have to understand King David. King David is so fascinating because as a boy, he's plucked out by God. He's doing nothing except the right things. And he's plucked out by God who says, okay, you're going to now be this new king which, by the way, the old king is still around, but I'll take care of him. And then David comes, and there's this battle with Goliath. But before that, he says, well, why is this uncircumcised Philistine even giving us a hard time? Why is he troubling the armies of the living God? And then David's thinking like a man. He thinks, okay, well, if I kill this guy, he goes and asks the king, what do I get? Do I get your daughter? Do I get your daughter? Because they're saying, hey, you get the king's daughter. And so David says, let me look at the daughter. Okay, I'll go after Goliath. I mean, there's these earthly things, there's these spiritual things. And then he actually goes over as a man anointed by God and he kills Goliath. He chops his head off. We don't talk about that in Sunday school. There aren't phantographs that go like this, you know, because then we'll have complaints. So now it seems great, right? It's just great. Okay, David, you did it. You did it. You were so faithful and you, you did this bold move and all of that. And you know, for the next 12 years, you know what David's life is like? He's on the run. And when you read the text, you say, this might be, this might be a form of, you know, anxiety. <laughs> he has to live in caves. He has to live with very strange people. Coming to, the Bible describes the people coming to help David as being like the dregs of society. And that's who God's going to rebuild his kingdom with. It's good news for you and I. And David now in the middle of all that at Psalm 18 says, I'll be the living sacrifice though. If God, if you want me to be the living sacrifice though, I will, I will live that out because you are that rock. You are that fortress. You are the actual deliverer for me of all of these things. You are actually the horn of my salvation. All of that is the reference here in terms of how Jesus overcame anxiety. He overcame anxiety. He was in Gethsemane. He knew that God his heart was to deliver him, and he knew that his heart was to deliver us, and he knew exactly how the Holy Spirit would work. And so I'm going to give you now two practicums, okay? Two practicums, and then we're going to run for home. You with me, church? 
So I won't repeat this in much depth, but having been in a journey in, in my personal life through neurological recovery based on an accident, that's put me in a fairly uh, interesting group of conversations with a couple medical professionals that have actually shared with me a number of details. So here's, here's how I reference this. What we know now is that music is a tool of God to help you feel happy. Like this is in the natural. So in the, there's a natural law. And it's kind of why, you know, I mean, I'm just guilty of liking music. I can date myself, right, from the 70s and the 80s, right? And so the 90s, right? That's, some of my, that's my dance era. So I still think I'm cool because I danced to music in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, right? I'm not, <laughs> right? But that's just in my head, right? Now, now, now that, you know, music is, very, is a little different. And so we won't even go there. It doesn't matter. But related, music is a natural tool to experience Happiness, your brain and the naturalness when you're listening to tunes or some of you sing in the shower or you're kind of humming, you know, or you turn it up in the car and you're, you know, you're humming, you know, and it doesn't really matter much the kind of music per se. It actually begins to activate things in your brain that are tools to make you happy. So, so that's, that's kind of foundational in the natural. Now, musical worship is, is just, you know, that on steroids because musical worship, we are actually ministering to God in heaven. We are actually making holy angels happy. We are actually taking our spirit in a union with God's spirit and we're actually having a connection there and we're agreeing with God, which is so important to spiritual power. So when we actually worship God and we sing holy words and sacred words and we're actually singing it out as best as we can, we actually are giving ourselves, our soul, our spirit, our minds, our bodies, a tremendous opportunity to experience happiness, to move beyond anxiety. So if you're stressed, my friends, you need to worship musically Jesus Christ. You need to sing out, you know, do it alone or do it in the car or go for a walk and uh, uh, you know, have a holy dance down by the river, shout, whatever the case is. And some of you, listen, some of you as families, as mamas and papas, the best thing you can do for your kids is get them together in a circle. And grandparents with the kids come over as well and start just shouting and praising the Lord for a couple of moments. You don't need to do it for three and four hours. Hey, listen, we're together. We're going to listen to a song. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to sing out. We're going to watch the heavens open because this is who we are because that is who he is. And it is his divine promise. In my former church, I had a guy in a wheelchair who had uh, very much a debilitated body. He did not have arms or legs that worked at all. And one of my early jobs as a much younger pastor was to pastor him and look out for him. And so he came with all kinds of you know, physical services because he's in a wheelchair and uh, he had real problem eating. Uh, in fact, I got you know, like the, the lecture about how to help him because if you did not feed him correctly, he would choke on something and choke to death. And so I remember thinking, no, you're not giving me that responsibility. <laughs> I'm not having the responsibility of a man who has this problem. But, you know, I was like, no, Rick, this is what you got to do. Okay, so I do it. His name was David. And we would become friends. And uh, I, would hear, I would hear his confessions and his brokenness. He, 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 wanted to, he wanted a girlfriend so bad. 
He wanted to be married so bad. He wanted a, a normal life so desperately. He wanted to be treated desperately. He wanted to argue with me. He wanted me to be mad at him like I would be at anybody else. He wanted me to rebuke him. He wanted, he wanted so desperately to be like everybody else, but his physical limitations were severe. And so that wasn't the case. And so oftentimes I would find him just weeping at church and just crying at church. And uh, church ministered to him a lot. And uh, so... Anyway, I found him crying really bad at the end of a worship set. And I just was like, Lord, I, I, I don't know how to minister to this man anymore. Please help my friend. Please help this guy. I just, I've got a heart for him. I love him. And I like looking out for him. And I go over and I put my arm around him. And uh, his neck is kind of stable. And so I had to be careful how I do it. I hold him like that. And he lets me know he wants to look at me. So I come all the front of the wheelchair and I look at them. And he's crying. And I have to wipe his face because he can't do it for himself. And I do that. And I said, David, what's going on, bro? I'm so sorry, bro. I'm so sorry. He goes, no, don't, don't be sorry for me. I'm worshiping Jesus. And it makes me so happy. It makes me so happy. Because I can be like everybody else in heaven when I worship. That's what I realized, was that I could sing out, and I could speak out, and I could enjoy the worship, and I could, in these moments, Pastor, I could be like everybody else on heaven and earth, even in my chair, even in this place, and it reminded me of my salvation. And of course, I lost it. Man of great, great courage. Jesus overcame anxiety when you through worship, when you read the gospel accounts, you realize that he actually, at the end of his life, he actually began to sing hymns when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they began to free themselves uh, of so much anxiety that they had. And Jesus actually sang and sang and sang these hymns. Let me run for home this way. This is on a personal note. This is an internal tool that I've practiced through the years. I'll share it with you now. I pray it's a blessing on overcoming anxiety. Sometimes you want to memorize a verse or have a verse, and oftentimes you just want to have a phrase, just a phrase that you say out. And so here's my phrase that I say out, and you guys can steal it and take it and alter it or whatever, and you can, you can enjoy a little cheeky laugh with me, but honestly, this is what I, what I often do. I say out loud, when I'm stressed out and I'm having lots of anxiety, I just say out loud, Jesus power, superpower. <laughs> Jesus power, superpower. That's what I need right now, Lord. I need Jesus power, superpower. I have to go into this conversation. I have to pay this bill. I have to talk to these people. I feel sorry for myself. I'm sad this way. And so I just speak out loud, it's Jesus power, superpower. That's what I need right now. You're calling me to live. You're calling me to live a life. You're calling me to be on a different way, wavelength with you. Okay, then I need Jesus' power, superpower. I need it right now. I don't need it tomorrow. I don't need it in five minutes. I need it in five seconds, right here, right now. Jesus' power, superpower. Give it to me, God, right now. So you can take that. Church, understanding anxiety is real. And you need to cross over to some places of real, unique faith to just accept that you're a human being and that Christ wants to operate his power and strength, that your anxiety is stuff that he knows personally. And he knows it intimately as God and he lived it out in, in, in his humanity. And he wants to give you fresh 
new deliverance of your anxiety. And so here it goes, church. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? If you're experiencing anxiety right now, and you have this day or this week, and you, you want to be delivered from that, I want you right now to get out of your seat and get here. We're going to pray and we're going to do business with God, and you're going to see a blessing come on you. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.